Welcome to Unreliable Narrator, a podcast which accompanies the exhibition A Fire in My Belly at the Julius Stoschek Collection in Berlin. In this episode, we will be speaking to the artist P-Staff, whose video work Weed Killer is included in the exhibition. P creates worlds that map the biopolitics between ecosystems, institutions, and the physical and psychic landscapes of queer people. Teasing out the toxicity between capitalism, ecology, and industrialization, P interrogates how we might rethink the spread of viruses, data, and medical treatments that are both poisonous and curative. In Weed Killer, P sheds light on the unruly kinship subsisting between illness, in particular that of cancer, and the trans experience, and how narratives of the body can be perverted or leave realms of signification. Lifting passages from Catherine Lord's 2004 memoir, documenting her experience with breast cancer and chemotherapy, and turning these into Weed Killer's script, P illuminates larger questions to do with the relationship between decaying bodies and hostile environments. My name is Eugene Yunam Chung, the curatorial assistant of A Fire in My Belly in JSC Berlin, co-presenting this episode with our curator, Lisa Long. So hi, P. Hi. Welcome. It's great to have you with us today for this episode of Unreliable Narrator. And I'm very happy that Eugene is joining us from Berlin. Hello. Yes, hey, that Eugene. is I. Hi, Lisa. Hi, P. Today we're going to talk about your work, Weed Killer, from 2017 among other things, and Weed Killer is currently on view at JSC Berlin in the collection show A Fire in My Belly, so I'm also very happy to say that it's a, a new acquisition for the collection, which is really exciting. I wanted to start a little bit by talking about the work, its formal aspects, and maybe its internal logics to mm -hmm. kind of also describe to the listener what they can't see if they haven't seen mm -hmm. it yet, um, which I know is always a difficult task in a way. But the video is, or the video installation is inspired by artist writer Catherine Lord's memoir, The Summer of Her Baldness from 2004. At least I think we have kind of three different parts that are stitched together or woven together. Mm -hmm. um, first, we have a, a documentary-like performance of Catherine Lord's monologue about chemotherapy, which we'll get to more in a bit, by actress Deborah Shoshu, who we see in kind of a... How do you say it? Shoshu, yeah. Shoshu. It's, okay. a, it's a fancy, fun name. Okay. I've, um, yeah, I've been thinking about that name for <laughs> like half a year now. Uh, so we see uh, Shoshu, so, so mm -hmm. Deborah, in uh, a home setting, kind of a, in a close-up shot. And she's speaking about her experience or she's reciting this monologue. And then we have images that are created with a or shot with a thermal heat camera of different bodies and objects and landscapes mm -hmm. that have a very particular kind of aesthetic and feel to them and look to them. And then we have a scene where we have Jamie Crew, artist Jamie Crew, lip syncing to or lip-syncing to be in love by masters at work featuring India in a bar in Los Angeles mm -hmm. um, and those are kind of the the three aspects and I was wondering if you could perhaps talk a little bit more about the not only how you found or how you came to Catherine Lord's text but also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the different aspects of Weed Killer. Yeah so Weed Killer is a work that I started probably maybe even late 2015 or through 2016 for sure. I was sort of recently moved to LA. I befriended Catherine Lord because I had 
sort of cold called her to write about another work of mine, The Foundation, which is a 2015 video that was commissioned by Chisholm Hill in London. I had sort of aggressively befriended Catherine and asked her to write about The Foundation. And at some point in that process, I suppose I was doing my due diligence and was reading a lot of her work and ended up getting a copy of The Summer of Her Baldness, which I, I, I actually was not at all familiar with. In, in parallel to that, some people in my life that I was very close to had died in, in quite sort of quick succession, mostly cancer related. Yeah, I was, I was more recently moved to LA. I had actually been working also on a project uh, at the Contemporary Art Gallery in Vancouver, showing a lot of work by trans video artists from the past like 20 years in, in Canada specifically. And that was a bit of a like research project with Robin Simpson, who's a curator and writer um, in Montreal. And maybe I'll, I'll come back to that slightly. But yeah, I was invited by Mocha to make a work and I knew, well, I had this desire to work with a section of Catherine's text. Um, so I always get kind of conflicted between talking about the like correct way of talking about this work and maybe the more like below deck personal, you know, shit that was going on in my own life. You know, I think to a certain degree, I was trying to make sense of people in my life dying and became intensely sort of drawn to and gravitating towards this, this memoir of, of, of breast cancer and radiation and chemotherapy by someone who was like new in my life that I was having this very sort of in, intense and active dialogue with, right? At the same time, this, this, this project with Robin of looking at kind of early trans video art in Canada, something that we kept coming back to was the monologue, the speech act, um, kind of people speaking to camera. And I was interested in that as a, as a form. I don't really think of myself as a filmmaker. I more tend to think of myself as an artist who inhabits other forms. And it feels very, what's the word? Like when you're a kind of invasive species or something. Like a chameleon. Yeah, yeah. I knew I wanted to sort of take up the form of filmmaking and particularly this one of monologue to the camera, investigate its transness in some way. And it really just, it really just snowballed from there. So there are these speech acts, I suppose, um, like accounting for oneself, narrating oneself, narrating one's pain, narrating the kind of destruction of it, like semiotics of the body and what it means. But at the same time, like somewhat with Catherine's blessing, I mutated it. I wanted it to all be performed by trans people, which makes it sound very grandiose, but really that was just me, Deborah, Jamie. And I knew that I wanted the text to become changed, like perverted or, or interjected onto in that process of, of essentially like lip syncing or re-performing or re-inhabiting someone else's words. There's something like inherently... Um, I'll keep going. <laughs> there's something like inevitably like changing and perverting when we like pick up each other's stories. And like it happens all the time, right? We read, we read a book or an article or watch a film and it's maybe not our personal experience completely, but something gets you about it or you find something of yourself in it. And on the one hand, it's so incredibly normal. We all do it all the time. But I think it's, 
it's interesting to me. Like, it's incredibly messy. There was something about me trying to deal with my own transness that I was finding in Catherine's text. And, you know, she's a woman in her 60s having chemotherapy. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's so far, in a sense, from me at that point being in my 20s, trying to figure out transitioning or not, and um, whatever. But the thing of like what a body does and how it ripples outwards, like the blast radius of being sick or being trans or having some process of like a transformation of the body, whether positive or negative, somehow was connecting these experiences. When it came to making the work, the first, like the first step was working with Deborah to film the monologue. Um, Deborah was like, is someone that I just know casually from around LA, kind of in like trans world, hanging out at trans events and stuff like that. And I had actually seen her performing in something my boyfriend was directing, but she was just a background actor in a scene of all trans people. And again, I kind of, I sort of just like pursued her and was really like, I want you to act in this thing I'm making and it's this monologue and it's really intense, but it's you, but it's not you. And I want it to be And you know, my friend is going to perform in it and, and they're me, but they're not me. We're all going to be kind of slip and sliding into each other's bodies and words and stuff. And she was really just game and was like, okay, sure. But you know, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, in the monologue, if Catherine is talking about the scars on her breasts as a result of a mastectomy, what happens in Deborah's body as someone who transitioned like at least 20, 30 years ago, has had completely differing types of surgeries, but has still undergone surgery in some moment of transformation of the body. And there's this series of questions in the middle of the monologue. Which are so, <laughs> so, so fucking good. amazing and funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sort of Catherine's very like dark and wry sense of humor coming out. But that was something we spent a really long time working through, like as in the performance. And for a long time, Deborah was like, I just don't get these questions. I don't understand. I don't understand them. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's on a level of just like, what is acting? You know, it was fun to be like, okay, well, first of all, you're just fucking with me. Like if I'm interviewing you or if you're trying to give an account of yourself to me, you are fucking with me with these questions. You're also angry, you know, and just getting into that, those parts of, of, of what the text is And doing. when you say that, there is a very mischievous look in her eye when she yeah. talks about those questions, at least at the end, um, and like a, yeah, yeah. You know, a slight smile yeah. um, that you can tell is, is perhaps coming out that has less to do with the monologue or the questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, completely. Maybe, maybe Deborah and Catherine aren't so different, like Deborah is certainly happy to fuck with you in conversation and to to sort of toy at your your beliefs or your ideas or what you know if you're talking whatever she'll she'll fuck with you too so she kind of yeah was able to get there with those questions i haven't read a summer of her baldness mm-hmm. but i've read about it of course and one thing that many people talk about when reviewing it or kind of what also draws them to it is lords irreverence towards both the subject matter but also to language and the way that she kind of mixes also her personal account or narrative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with more fictitious moments or these different types of writing from letters or emails to kind of more diaristic moments and I thought like irreverence is something that I 
wanted to come to a little bit later, but maybe it's already, you know, something that yeah, we can yeah. talk about now. It's because it's a way of relating to something, mm -hmm. irreverence. And mm -hmm. the question for me arises, like, who is allowed that, mm -hmm. right? And who is allowed to, in, and in what situations? And yeah, when is it yeah. appropriate? And when is it funny? And when is it perhaps just, like, completely beside yeah, completely. The, the seriousness of the situation or the moment? Because, you know, especially if we're thinking about, like, larger kind of societal experiences, everything does feel really serious. And then mm -hmm. the question of irreverence comes up again, like, yeah, is that yeah, allowed yeah. at the moment? And then, you, you know, we had talked about, or you have talked about in the past about this idea of unruly kinships, right? Mm -hmm. Is that an irreverent mm -hmm. kind of moment mm -hmm. of where putting two things together, for example, chemotherapy and transness, but that, um, yeah. But like, what does that word mean to you? Or yeah, how does, yeah. how do you, how do you? Yeah, do I mean, it's, it's, it's totally in it. I mean, the first thing it makes me think of is Johanna Hedver, who is a very good friend and sort of erstwhile collaborator or something of mine, was talking recently, you know, about what words do and was saying that, you know, in Johanna's opinion, and I kind of agree, like, if you are, I'm going to misquote here, but if you are kind of um, someone who experienced something, if you're at the brunt of an experience or a set of terms or language or whatever, you kind of have to develop a promiscuity around them. And I think that both Catherine and I, in, in making this work, and Catherine writing her book and I making this video work, we're both kind of being promiscuous, being irreverent, in an attempt to like undo certain categories which can often feel um so precious as much that you you shouldn't be trying to do that to them or something i mean i was very badly articulated but you know for me like in in the way that i often try and make my work about transness being trans what is transness whatever i'm always trying to avoid and and push back against like the, the sort of pressure, I think, and the expectation to always be like making whole or recuperating or sort of making for a, an account of an accumulation and a, and a like, I'm like trying to mold it like clay in my hands, like putting something back together, you know? With this work, I think I wanted cancer, chemotherapy, illness, transness, hormonal therapy, surgeries, whatever, they're all meant to be like undoing each other and finding some like ontological dissolution or something, rather than being these two ways of being, these two ways of moving through the world that just solidify each other or are somehow, somehow in my putting these ideas or these ways of being into dialogue with each other as if that's meant to be creating new meaning rather than um, trying to essentially like divest from power, divest from the making of meaning as being an obligation that, that the trans person or the sick person or whatever is, is meant to always be doing, like giving account, making meaning, making whole and like doing good. Like it's such a pressure. And I think for Catherine in the text, I don't want to speak for her too much, but I think that she was actively working against being the good breast cancer patient, being the good you know, the, the good pink ribbon wearer or whatever. And it's, and it's totally something people take umbrage with. I've been in Q and A's where people want to ask, like, why is it productive to make such a negative work around cancer? You know, I think that often people's first reaction to weed killer or it can be is that it feels somehow sacrilegious to be 
putting like transness and sickness in correlation with each other, you know, largely because they're both, they're both sort of categories, identities, ways of being that are like consistently devalued and dispossessed um, culturally, you know. I think I think that's a an interesting point, I guess, to pivot as well in the sense that you know in the in an article written um, by Stamatina Gregory, I think it's a it's sort of like a longer form essay. Um, they refer to you know weed killer's title as being in itself a metaphor for the violence of treatment. It's interesting because yeah, I mean a lot of people, I mean I would you know be understanding of where that comes from, you know, putting these two violent things or these things in a violent relationship or a metaphor, but would it be, would it be right to say that like what you're doing is less about putting transness and cancer in a metaphorical relationship than it is trying to find, as you might say, you know, like a, a language destroying kind of thing, like, you know, trying to remove these kind of oppositions and, and metaphor is, I guess, just an instrument that you're using to try to do that. Yeah. I mean, in a way there's like, there's one way of appro- approaching the work really as like, a, as just like a set of strategies, essentially. And a set of a set of like maneuvers in a way that I am taking on filmmaking as one strategy and one maneuver. And you know, there's a set of conscious decisions there in like filming Deborah cropped really close to her face and things like that. Like the language of cinema can be a strategy. Mm. The migration of text is a strategy in that scenario. I just wouldn't, I would just maybe resist saying that the outcome is so strategic. It's in a way it's a, um, it's like a dazzle ship or something. It's like, (laughs) and dazzling it is. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know if I would say I'm entirely striving for confusion, but I'm trying, getting back to like fucking with, I'm trying to just fuck with the assumptions around being trans, being sick being embodied in the world, whatever, or, or even just like the, the, the production of a whole self that these categories and identities are somehow meant to produce. It, you know, what, what, what comes up for me is one thing that can be said about the kind of sick or disabled or crip subject that sets it in alignment with a trans subject is um, the kind of desire or the move within neoliberalism, again, to to produce both as an able body. There is, again, like a set of neoliberal strategies or maneuvers to, to, to enact like a violent recuperation, basically, to become functioning, normative, whatever, whether that's like, you know, the marriage industrial complex, the war industrial complex, military, like bringing people into all kind of range and strategies of imperialism, colonialism, a kind of... Yeah, social and sexual normativity. There are these facets of weed killer, like you can talk about the pharmacon, like the the necessity to ingest a substance that is both destroying and making you simultaneously. In Catherine's book, she talks about what's the difference between killing cells in the body and just killing myself. And I would say you can almost argue the same for like the making of the self. I mean, we, we get so preoccupied when it comes to transness as discussing like, the making, the remaking, the becoming of a person, a new person, the person we always were inside. There's also, you know, I'm sort of fascinated by the history of trans medicine. And at this point, at least in 2016, 2017, was thinking so much about, you know, chemotherapy being an almost like accidental discovery in looking at the treatment of mustard gas in World War II. At the same time, I mean, it's just, 
you know, Paul Preciado talks about this. So many technologies related to the body and inevitably related to the trans subject were developed through um, war, essentially, and discoveries and things like that. But at the same time, there are people now kind of in the in the realm of trans studies sort of pushing against almost the idea that a set of technologies of the body that so often apply to trans people were only produced through conflict and war and, and that sort of thing. And there's such a strong strain in the history of trans medicine of experiments done on trans and intersex people, essentially to, again, like normativize and reify like the cis or the able subject. And so the history of like synthetic hormones, for instance, always, always accounted for as, as, as being a thing that trans people do. Whereas all of the experiments and all of the early developments of producing synthetic hormones were for cis people, was for maintaining like a normative gendered body and experience for, for cis people. At the same time, like globally now, the, the kind of the majority of synthetic hormones that are produced are again, not for trans people. So there's always this like folding back onto the, the making of the trans body and the trans subject that is always sort of violently in dialogue with an oppressive normativity or able body um, or cisgender subject, you know? Well, as Susan Sontag says, like, war is the grossest metaphor that one can apply. And it's one that is sort of aggressively applied to the body and particularly sickness constantly, you know? And, and I'm sure we've all experienced this with COVID where, like, the body is fighting a war. There is, you know, an aggressive uh, invasion, all of that stuff. There are things now that we could say both about what the thermal footage is doing and also what Jamie's section are doing kind of in relation to this stuff. Exactly. I was just actually going to go over to yeah. the thermal footage and be like, this would be, this is a great way uh, to, to kind of talk about the imagery yeah. and what the camera yeah. is actually doing and how it's disrupting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like a very conscious choice to, to work with thermal cameras. You know, the, the one that we use, the type of thermal camera that we used is largely used in both like a medical context and also an engineering context. Um, so medically they're used to find like inflammation or broken bones, tumors, things like that in the body that obviously produce like heat in an engineering capacity. They're used to find like malfunctioning parts of machinery, overheated people, like electricians use them a lot, things like that. But at the same time, I would say that the, this sort of visual language, most of us associate with surveillance, occupation, war, um, policing, you know, drones, especially. drones, all of that, all of that stuff. And I, I felt particularly attuned to, I guess, the parallel, the parallel process of like surveillance and abandonment that trans people and the history of the making of images of trans people and trans bodies exists within, whether it's like early police photography, um, of like non-normative trans people, sex workers, like early police photography being this sort of earliest moments of image making, right, of trans people, through to just like the kind of violent and continuous presentation of trans bodies that we're afflicted to. It's the month of June right now. You can't buy a single fucking product without like a queer or a trans person being made to somehow like shill themselves and sell themselves to sell you this product. You know, in a way I was using, wanting to use and misuse a technology 
in the same way that I felt I was inhabiting more like normative filmmaking techniques. I wanted to sort of take and misuse this form of image making and in a way use it to, you know, kind of ecstatically and beautifully illuminate the bodies in the work, but to also throw into question the surface of skin, what, what happens beneath, the way that it can be kind of exposing and, and kind of sensuous at the same time. Like, I think people often feel that it's kind of sexy. Um, mm. uh, and, There's, you know... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say that this idea of illumination is so pronounced in the in the Jamie Crew scene, right? Like, it's this kind of... And also when you speak about surveillance and abandonment, like, it's it's such a... I mean, the scene really just encapsulates all of that because I'm not, I'm not sure if this is, you know, an Australian-centric thing, but I always find that, you know, the, the, the queer community has, you know, like, the, you know, when I was growing up, people would always want to be iconic or, like, called iconic, you know, this aspiration of becoming, like, an absolute symbol of glamour and, yeah, I guess, I suppose, reverence as well, which Jamie Crew kind of, you know, embodies. This is, I mean, of course, it, this emerges from, like, some kind of elemental desire to be known on, on one's own terms or, or to be dignified. But I think We Killer complicates this and what you're doing complicates it a little, particularly with, you know, the, the dramaturgy of, of what Jamie's doing because um, they're dressed up as an icon, lip-syncing and performing with, you know, such an aura of ferocity and emotion. But they're pretty much ignored by, like, you know, it's, it's a gay bar, right? Like, they're ignored by, like, all the gays in the room who, like, you know, without assuming too much, you'd think would be the ones screaming, like, yes, queen, or so on and so forth. Um, so, I mean, like, were you, do you think that you were trying to, to draw attention to the hierarchies or, or yeah, the hierarchies of who or what might be designated as this kind of like illuminated icon and, or were you more trying to index some kind of impossibility to, you know, this kind of trans pursuit of being iconic? The way that I was thinking about it was, um, I wanted to, if Deborah performing Catherine's monologue is always moving in one particular direction at, at one particular speed. I wanted to basically introduce another scene that like spins it out or spirals it off or, or kind of folds it back in on itself. And the, and the way that I think about it, like you say, is it's about in, in some senses in both scenes, um, actually with all of the, the kind of three types of footage in the film, there's, the process of being known, being seen, accounting for oneself, and actually that often feeling violent, it often feeling grievous, like there's a huge amount of grief in, in the works about basically trying to account for one's pain and being either like luminous and brilliant in that moment of trying to account for one's pain or being angry and wry and irreverent and, and fucking with the, the person, again, it's like strategies of trying to essentially articulate suffering. And it's so successful because it's done through, you know, uh, dance and music and language it has, I guess, a subordinate role in the scene. And I think that Elaine Scary writes a lot about how pain is language destroying or, you know, pain is something in which has no reference. It's, it's beyond language in a certain sense. And I think that the, yet the pain in this in this scene is so pronounced and it's so, so much more affective because it's yeah it's lacking in language notwithstanding the lyrics of course but yeah I haven't ever seen something like that which so I guess um, distills so so purely distills you know um, that kind of you know there are, yeah there are these sort of multiple reversals and projections happening almost like on the one hand through the song 
Jamie is, is, is sort of professing an undying love that is burning inside and it feels so strong, yet, like you say, is being basically ignored in the bar. People are just talking and drinking, which, like, on the one hand can feel malicious or whatever, but on the other hand, it can feel completely banal. I mean, I've, I'm sure all of us have sat in a bar and sort of half watched a performer or even sat in a gallery and <laughs> half paid attention to an artwork. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it can, like you say, Eugene, sort of be a reflection of the, the sort of hierarchies or um, microaggressions that can exist amongst a community which is sort of yeah like Catherine starts to get there in the monologue as well like people will people will get tired of you people will get burnt out of hearing about all your problems um people drop away people fade away from your life and it's something that really resonated in Catherine's text with me about being trans and people drop away people back away you can enter a room and your very being not quite fitting or making sense can like curdle a space, you know? And you can feel it. You can feel, again, that blast radius, that ripple effect. There's only so much discomfort that people can take before you become aberrant. Right, right? exactly, exactly. But at the same time, like, I guess, like I was saying, I think about the directionality of the speech acts or something. Deborah is closely cropped into her face, talking to me behind the camera, Sometimes people like slightly mis misinterpret it as like an interview or something of that shape. Whereas there's a complete reversal in that Jamie is like on a stage in a spotlight, um, singing outwards to a bar of people. It's sort of dispersed to a group who mm. are completely disinterested. You know, in the grand schemes of, I don't know, like the Marvel universe, it's not like a grand <laughs> moment of cinema. But for me, I was like, this is me. Like- I mean, like, fuck the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> it's, a, it's an infantilization of cinema. <laughs> but I felt like I was like, okay, I'm going to produce something cinematic. And, and that, again, becomes like a strategy for a, for a viewer. And there, then, you know, I love to edit and always sort of aim, I suppose, for my works to have very precise but also very embodied types of editing you see the kind of peak or the pinnacle of Jamie's performance in a series of flashes earlier on in the work that are combined with like bits of thermal moments and then when she actually performs the 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 image cuts before the beat drops like you're led to the edge of a cliff as a viewer and it's like pulled away from you and in a way, like on a most basic level, I'm trying, I'm trying to point to the strategies of, of image making, of filmmaking, of cinema at that point. And in a way, slightly lean into like, look how easy it is to be manipulated. Look how it, it can fuck with you when you, you're watching a film that makes you cry and you know it's trying to make you cry, but you're crying any, you know, like that we and can- you love it. Yeah. And you love it. <laughs> <laughs> But, but it can also not make you love the person that's making you cry. Like intimacy, kinship, these things are so complicated. And image making, filmmaking, art making is its own violent intrusion into that, into that space, you know? And also in relation to what we talked about a little bit earlier about like not making whole. Yeah. If the climax had come, if that kind of resolution, you know, had come, yeah, yeah. then it's, yeah, it's leaving it kind of cut open yeah, or yeah. open-ended 
again allowing it to perhaps mutate into something else yeah, um, in yeah. the future that we then as viewers would have to kind of imagine mm -hmm. and i think the the thermal uh shots are doing something similar because i mean you had a lot of fun with them right they're mm -hmm. actually tricking us to believe or they're they're certain clothes had been put in the freezer and then mm -hmm. had been put on or mm -hmm. things like that. I hope I'm not ah. revealing. I hope I'm not revealing the truth. Oh my God. Right? What the hell? <laughs> it's image making. It's the construction of, of an idea or of, a, of something and, and le leading us on just as Deborah's monologue could be an interview or, you know, her own story, but yeah, it's actually yeah, yeah. Catherine Lord's um, citation in a way and there's this muddling and, and also the messiness of right like mm -hmm. of, of yeah I guess fact and fiction which is you know a very banal yeah. way to describe the, <laughs> the, the, the coming together but from a cinematic standpoint also is this moment of documentary and the non-documentary and then mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. like storytelling and then these kind of poetic yeah um, yeah inter, interspersed moments I think that essentially you could say that both Catherine and I at moments are deliberately withholding as a way of channeling the anger of feeling the demand to reveal, to account for oneself in my case as a trans person making art, a trans artist, Catherine's as a sick person, as a cancer survivor, you know, which I say is a, in such a loaded term. Both of us are channeling anger through withholding. And I think that I'm at the same time exercising a certain anger through art making and, and, and pointing to yeah, like the reversals, the fallacies, the trickery, the way that one can almost be kind of, without wanting to use like an overly contemporary term, sort of like love bombed or like feeling bombed by a, a work. And then at the same time, completely iced out by it or something. And yeah, you're, you're never really on firm ground. You know, you're, you're always sort of being left to try to grapple with where you sit as the viewer in this. A lot of the work is pointing to almost like skin and the, and surfaces and the surface of skin as being something that is like porous, but also, I don't know, like vo volatile, I suppose, you know, like, again, it's, it's become a sort of like rote term in the art world that we're all interested in the porosity of bodies. But I think that what often gets kind of written out of that is the... Is, is, is again like the violence within that um, and the, the sort of great disparities that exist in the porousness of our bodies. It doesn't always feel good to be together and we're not always, we're not always in, a, in kinship with people that we feel good about or we want to be with or something. You know, Catherine talks about her dosage being calculated by skin area, like how much, if you were to cut someone open and flatten them out, that's how you calculate how much of this, um, you know, of this really aggressive drug to give them. Jamie is wearing this sort of like metallic mesh over her dress that sort of reflects and feels like armor. And again, Catherine talks about, um, I forget the exact wording, but kind of, it feels medieval, you know, and, and, and having this relationship to armor, armor and who has armor and who doesn't, whose body is protected and whose isn't. But I feel like in the showing of the work, the actual, surface of the projected image itself is again thrown into question to some degree i really wanted it to feel yeah that at moments in the film you become aware literally of the surface of the screen itself again it sounds like a slightly kind of banal thing about 
filmmaking. Well, you were definitely successful in keeping people um, interested. I mean, uh, <laughs> the amount, of, like we, had, the amount of times Lisa and I had people visiting or and just coming, being like, "Wow, that piece staff work could not rip ourselves away." And it's got this kind of yeah, it's cinematic and it feels like it's longer than it actually is. I thought it was something like. Um, I don't know, like 30 minutes long, but really it's 16. Yeah, right? it's, like, a, it's, it's a like a quarter of an hour. 16. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it has a way of um, just latching on and refusing to let go. And I think it's this kind of, yeah, the, Im- the imbrication of, I guess, the aesthetic um, with like the thermal imagery and like the, the close-ups and the dance scene. It, keep, it keeps you on your toes, one. But I also think that it really speaks to the way that... Um, yeah, you've managed to flesh out the resonances of pain. I think that people come in and they're affected by it. They're really affected by the work. And that's that's the reason why they can't draw themselves away. The pain isn't too much. The pain that you're kind of expounding in the, in the video isn't um, unbearable for them to witness. It's it, And I think it's a testament to the just the quality of the, of the work you produced. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also, you know, find their own stories, as you say, within the different aspects of the different scenes and the different moments and this idea of compassion fatigue is something that we have on so many different levels like in our day-to-day lives at the moment when it comes to also talking about forms of violence and complicity Mm -hmm. and accountability and coalition and allyship and empathy and like is empathy possible to a certain extent or when does you know compassion fatigue set in Mm -hmm. in relation to both you know in a personal intimate relationship but also perhaps in a larger societal kind of moment where we are yeah confronted with ongoing you know inequalities and injustices and forms of oppression that that haven't changed a lot Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. past hundred or like 30 years even partially and like and it's like when do we how do we deal with that and I think a lot of people think that also that's a moment that really really gets them but also the just like the way that the installation is set up with the floor that reflects Mm -hmm. the screen Mm -hmm. and kind of undoes the screen as this very you know fixed space of representation but then you have a different kind of yeah, image on the ground, and then the, the this other plexi orange plexiglass that mm-hmm. is the size of the screen, but behind it, so you you only actually really see it when you, or are really aware of it when you walk out. Yeah, you see yeah, it when yeah. you walk in, but and it's kind of you know it has again this reference to kind of like the screening in German is like a word you use in medical, mm-hmm. you know, in, in medical situations yeah. of screening the body um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, reflect yeah. seeing yourself reflected in that orange plexi glass in my work even more broadly there's always a, a desire for things to be kind of leaking into each other i sometimes have this feeling that what i'm often sort of subjecting a viewer to is that they don't get to leave without being sort of contaminated somehow or dirtied or implicated <clears throat> in some way that you can't sort of, um, yeah, you can't, you can't enter into that environment without seeing yourself literally reflected in some way, also potentially instrumentalized in some way, and also asked to account for yourself in some way. Because again, like the, the performances, the text and everything, it's asking you to identify, it's asking you to kind of, um, situate yourself or something. 
Yeah, the the black floors also. I mean, it's it's kind of like a hospital room rendered negative. It's it's kind of this inversion where yeah, and the orange screen that Lisa's talking about, like it, there's this kind of it feels medical adjacent, um, but at the same time, the colors have been you know it's so diametrically swapped that you are kind of in like a a nether world of what um or not not another not a nether world, but you know like kind of like a hospital room that's been like tinged by some kind of evil i yeah. don't know it's it it's yeah it's mm. but it's also a club i always think of the bar mm-hmm. with as in relation to the floor um, yeah as this kind of space of of performance and becoming and quote unquote freedom mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's it's and it's and it's what it's where it kind of comes from is put is performance flooring is what it's called um, the theater, yeah, the theater. it's, it's theaters, yeah. car shows, runway shows, things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's kind of like what Eugene's saying that the whole installation and the work itself is is constantly misusing things. This this flooring, the plexi, Catherine's text, you know, the the song, the masters at work song, they're all being misused in some way or sort of taken up by by one person and allowed to be again, contaminated or transformed into something else um, with or without consent, you know. So perhaps the relationship between um, cancer and transness isn't metaphor, it's misuse. Yeah, yeah. The other thing we haven't really spoken about is that the soundtrack is very intense. Yeah, I was going to add that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that features in a lot of my work and it's, and it's interesting because it's... Um, maybe the last, always like the last bit of a conversation or something is sort of what the sound is doing. But I would kind of say that almost every, I mean, really every video I've worked has a, has a very intense soundtrack. Also, this one was just, was fun to make. So I, I um, worked with a couple of musicians and again, basically asked them to try to um, push their instruments to a point of breakage um, or a point of not being able to contain anymore. So a lot of the time what you're hearing is people blowing too hard through their instruments, um, holding a note on like a saxophone or a clarinet to the point where it starts to like waver and then break. Incredible. Um, Yeah. And there are moments where you hear them trying to maintain their breath. So I I think if you don't register what it is, it's, it's hard to identify, but you know, there'll be a note playing and you'll hear them be sort of like, because <laughs> they're trying to push as much air as possible through a, like a tight brass space or something. Yeah. And then, and then all of that sound essentially gets, I'm like pushing and stretching and speeding and slowing and bending notes, but it's, it's, it's like wildly physical and, and again, just sort of fits into this general pattern of the whole, of the whole work of things being used and misused. Thank you so much yeah. for yeah, thank um, you. speaking with us today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Did we run wildly over? Been great. Uh, no, I think not, we're not, super, not super, not super over time. time. 